you have your uh, Bible, please open it to Matthew chapter 5. We will be looking at verse 7 today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Uh, Christian author and professor Jonathan, Jonathan Pennington says, The Sermon on the Mount is not law. This is something that you, you need to understand as we continue to work our way through this sermon. He says, the Sermon on the Mount is not law. It's not law. That, 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 it's not law. It doesn't, it's not, it's not, it doesn't make you see I need for the gospel. Whether it's wisdom from God. The Sermon on the Mount is wisdom from God. Inviting us through faith to reorient our values, our visions, and our habits from a ways of external righteousness to whole heartedness towards God. This isn't law, but gospel. Jesus is inviting us into life in God's kingdom, both now and in the future to come. This is grace. The Sermon on the Mount is grace. And each of these beatitudes in the, in the first section of, of the sermon is grace as well. Each of these beatitudes, all nine of them, are a wisdom from God. Grace, not law. Jesus is extending his hands out to us through these nine Beatitudes, inviting us through faith to reorient our values, our vision, and our habits towards God and towards his kingdom. These Beatitudes are convictions of the way. It is the way of Christ, the way of his kingdom, the way of his life. And he gives all of these convictions to his people for their flourishing in this life, despite their circumstances and despite their shortcomings. And our flourishing is more than pie in the sky. It's not simply the, the sweet by and by. Believers flourish in this life because their God is forever faithful. He's forever faithful. Flourishing are the poor in spirit. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Flourishing are those who, who mourn because they shall be comforted. Flourishing are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they shall be satisfied. But do you believe it, saints? This morning we're going to look at the fifth beatitude here in Matthew 5, verse 7. It says, flourishing are the merciful, because they shall receive mercy. Flourishing are the merciful, because they shall receive mercy. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, as we come to the preaching of the word, we need you, Holy Spirit. They, the people here don't need Alex. They need you. And I need you. For you have to take the preached word and apply it to our hearts, all of our hearts. And so you are the counselor. You are the one who leads us, us into all truth. You are the one who helps us understand the Bible. Apart from you, there is no understanding of the scriptures. There is no submitting to the scriptures apart from your work in our life. So Holy Spirit, be who you are for us. Be the counselor. Be the advocate that we need. Be our helper. I pray for all of this 
In Christ's name, amen. I came across a, uh, a satire cartoon called The Garden of Media. It's a funny depiction of Adam and Eve in the garden uh, before the fall. And in, in, in this cartoon, the serpent is also there as well. And so Adam says to Eve, the Pope says we need to do a better job discerning between fake and real news. Adam says to Eve, the Pope says we need to do a better job discerning between fake and real news. And Eve says to her husband, let's fact check the serpent. Fact checking is an important tool in the current world in which we live in. Would you agree? Because we get a lot of information on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, and Facebook. How much of it is true? Fact checking means you do your due diligence to verify the facts of a story, an issue, or the news to determine whether or not the information is true. So we're going to do some fact-checking this morning. We're going to fact-check mercy. Because there's tons of books have been written on mercy. I was part of a conference on mercy this week that my wife had organized. Many articles, blog posts have been written on mercy. Mercy, 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 mercy. But what are the facts? What does mercy really mean? Who extends mercy? Who receives mercy? Jesus says, flourishing on the merciful. Please understand that this fifth beatitude isn't simple teaching about how to be a better version of yourself. Jesus isn't a self-help guru. He's he's not teaching salvation by, uh, by morality. His teaching is about the convictions of the ways, the convictions of God's kingdom given to all of the citizens of that kingdom. And this is a kingdom without walls, okay? The term merciful is a description of Christians, people who are already Christians, not people who aren't Christians. The merciful are disciples of Christ. It is his church, his church. He's talking to those of you who already have saving faith in Jesus. So if you don't have saving faith in Jesus, then his hands are extending out to you, inviting you to receive him. As Savior and Lord. First John 2 says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's, sacri- and he's the sacrifice for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Saving faith in Jesus comes before being merciful for Jesus. Do you believe that? Because otherwise, Jesus would just be talking about morality here. Giving you nine things on how to be a better you. His concerns is not about that. These beatitudes are for people who are already in the kingdom. People who are already cleansed by his blood. He's saying if you are a Christian, then these are the convictions you need to have in your life. And so if you don't know him, you've got to come to him first. Because Romans says, confess with your mouth 
that Jesus is Lord, to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And after he saves you, the Holy Spirit will begin to mold and to shape your life like kids shaping and playing with Play-Doh. The Holy Spirit does this. He is the one who works mercifulness into the hearts of believers. Oh, these are amen statements. Because you can't leave here and say, I'm going to be merciful this week. That's my goal. Be more merciful to my kids. Be more merciful to my siblings. Is it that easy? No. The Holy Spirit has to work this in us. In us. He empowers us to be able to extend mercy. He bends our hearts towards being merciful. Mercy is conviction of the way. But but, but, But is it true? Is that a fact? Don't just take my word for it. Just fact check with scripture. Luke 6, 36, Christ says, be merciful as your father is merciful. Be merciful as your father is merciful. Hosea 6, 6 says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Proverbs eleven seven says, the merciful man does good for his own soul. But he who is merciless merciless, troubles his own flesh. Many religious leaders, if you study the Gospels, you you know that many religious leaders try really hard to test Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. I mean, they worked so hard. They had plans. They had agendas. They had strategies. They were trying their best to show him up. Hoping to disprove him. And each of them fell miserably. Now, however, there's another group who might not meet the same faith in their interaction with Jesus. And this particular group has the gift of gab. And I call this the, the first century Alexander Sonaras. You know, you know, call me Jerusalem. Because in, in, in one of Jesus' gatherings, a lawyer stands up in order to test him. This is in one of his large group meetings. A lawyer stands up in order to test Jesus. And he says to Jesus, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? That's classic Jesus answering a question with a question. And the lawyer falls into the trap. The lawyer says, you shall love the Lord your God with with all your heart and and with all your soul and and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, your answer is correct. Do this and you will live. You see, the lawyer should have just ended the conversation there. He should have just walked away. Don't ask Jesus any more questions. Just stop. But he can't. He keeps going. Trying to outward Smith Jesus. But the, the lawyer desiring to justify himself, he says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Oh, Alexander Chanel. Should have stopped while you were ahead. So Jesus replies to him with a story. And at the end of this story, the, the lawyer answers his own question. In the message Bible, Jesus says, there was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes. They beat him up, and, and, they, went, and they left him there half dead. Luckily, a, a priest was on, the, on his way down the same road, but when the priest saw him, he, he angled across on the other side. Then, then the Levite religious man also showed up, but he also avoided the injured man. But then a Samaritan traveler came down the same road. And when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. And that means he had compassion. So the Samaritan, he gave this injured man first aid, bandaging up his wounds. And then he, he lifted him onto his donkey and he led him to an inn and, and that made him comfortable. And in the morning, he, he took out two silver coins and he, he gave it to the innkeeper. And the Samaritan said to the innkeeper, Take care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill and I'll pay you on my way back. Then Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. And he said to the man, you go and do likewise. TVC Saints, who deserves to see, receive mercy from you? Who deserves to receive mercy from you? Who is worthy enough of your mercy? What, what, what kind of people meet your qualifications? What, what conditions have you set? In his book, Just Mercy, a lawyer Brian Stevenson writes, Mercy is just when it is rooted in, in hopelessness and freely given. Mercy is most empowering and liberating and transformative when it's directed at the undeserving. People who haven't earned it, people who haven't sought for it, are the most meaningful recipients of our compassion. Remember Jesus' story. The man who fell among the robbers, he offered nothing to the Samaritan. He had nothing to give. He was hanging on to life by a thread. And so the Samaritan clothed him and led him to an end. He extended mercy to him. Beloved, mercy is for people who can't repay you. And you don't look to be repaid. It's for people who, who can't pay it forward. Mercifulness is one way the church can love her neighbor as herself. Who's your neighbor? All of humanity. All of humanity is your neighbor. All of them are. Even, even the people who are different from you is your neighbor. The people who vote differently than you is your neighbor. The people who worship differently than you is your neighbor. The person who dress differently than you is your neighbor. Even the people who, 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 who don't like Alabama is your neighbor as well. And these people don't have to fill out an application and apply to be your neighbor. They don't have to submit a good neighbor resume, filling out all the qualifications that they meet to be your neighbor. 
They shouldn't have to interview to be your neighbor. People from all walks of life are your neighbor because your father in heaven said so. Okay? That's why they're your neighbor. Because God says so. Not the government. Not your homeowners association. God says so. They're your neighbor. Remember that Jesus found found a question to the lawyer. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, like a good lawyer would, the one who showed him mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment every time. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it, saints? In 1996, Matthew Charles was sentenced to 35 years in prison for selling drugs and for illegal possession of a firearm. He served over 20 years before being released in 2016. Mr. Charles paid his debt to society, so he thought. He was a free man. So he thought. Another opportunity for life. So he thought. You see, two years later, his new freedom and opportunity was snatched out of his hands like a thief in the night. And what had happened was our wonderful justice system made a mistake. And they fought for his early release. And they got him. And they won. And so in May of 2016, an appeals court ordered him back to prison. To serve nine more years. Can you imagine the emotional distress? The hopelessness? The despair? The kick to the gut? The powerlessness? The, the, the I can't believe this is happening to me feeling? Can you believe that? Can you relate to that? Can you empathize with that? But Mr. Charles' story doesn't end there. In January... He became the first person to benefit from the First Step Act, which is a criminal justice reform law that, that eased the mandatory uh, sentencing for drug sentences. And so he was again free, a man. Once again, paid his debts to society. Once again, he's a free man. Once again, he's given a new opportunity for life. But the story doesn't end there because Mr. Charles soon learns that society isn't always forgiving. See, he lives in Nashville now, and he applied for an apartment there in Nashville, trying to get his life together. But his lease application was declined because of his criminal record. He paid his debts to society, but society still holds that against him. He's a free man, but his past still is a burden. He has a new opportunity for life, but he can't seem to escape his past. And this is what he says. And when he, when he was interviewed, he says, it's tough for a person with a criminal record to find housing, even though you pay your debt to society and have made significant changes in your life. As a nation, if you want to reduce the number of convicted criminals who, who reoffend, we can't make it hard for them coming out of prison to succeed. What is he asking for? Mercy. He's asking for mercy. He's asking for a hand up. And he and others like him are your neighbor. People who should benefit and be recipients of the mercy that the church extends. Do you see them? Do you hear them? 
Do you speak to them? And will you advocate for them? Who's familiar with the three wise monkeys? Raise your hand. Who's familiar with the three wise monkeys? They originated in Japan around the 17th century. And there are many statues and pictorials of them around the world. You see, the three wise monkeys, they are always displayed together with one covering his eyes, one covering his ears, and one covering his mouth. And there's a proverbial principle attached to these three wise monkeys. And some of you know the proverb. See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. In our Western culture, the three wise monkeys represents looking the other way when you see injustice and evil, crime, systemic brokenness, suffering, abuse, homelessness, loneliness, corruption, or poverty. It's like indifference. It's turning a blind eye. Out of sight, out of mind. Not wanting to be a whistleblower. Not wanting to be labeled a snitch. And here's one of of our favorite sayings. Well, that's not my problem. That's not my problem. You see, it's comfortable arranging our lives in order to avoid seeing, hearing, and speaking of evil. So we build walls of self-protection around our life. And the three wise monkeys are the guarders. They guard it. They guard our life. And they give us this false sense of security and safety. Author Bernie Brown, she calls this wall the armor. She says, our armor is the thoughts, emotions, and behaviors that we use to protect ourselves when we aren't willing and able to rumble with vulnerability. You see, extending mercy Jesus' way will require you to rumble with vulnerability. It will. You have to embrace that. You have to engage that. You have to press into that. It means it's going to be uncomfortable. And and rumbling with vulnerability means admitting that you are afraid. Admitting that I don't know what to do. Admitting that I feel powerless. I feel being used, lied to, taken advantage of. You rumble by being honest about your walls of self-protection. You rumble by telling the truth about your judgmental thoughts and stereotypes towards people who need mercy and compassion. You rumble by praying to the Holy Spirit to empower you to be more merciful. You see, saints... Mercy is opposite of our cultural understanding of the three wise monkeys. It means you see the evil around you. You hear the injustice around you. You speak to God. You speak God's truth into the evilness of the world. Can we do that? We see people. We hear people. We speak to people. We be merciful to them. A British pastor once says, mercy really means a sense of piety plus a desire to relieve the suffering. That is essentially the meaning of being merciful. It's piety plus action. So the Christian has a feeling of piety. His concern about the misery of men and women leads to an anxiety to relieve it. That's being merciful. See, mercy has a face. 
It has a face. It has a, a, a certain features. First, mercy is about people, not politics and policies. Mercy is about people, not policies, not programs, and not politics. It is about people. That's the first thing mercy is. People aren't programs, people aren't politics, and people aren't policies. People are image bearers. So mercy is about people. Second, mercy is unmerited faith, kindness, and compassion. It's unmerited. Third, it is empathy towards people in their misery. That's what mercy is. And fourth, it's listening for understanding without fear and judgment. And fifth, mercy is forgiveness. Sixth, mercy is advocacy for others. And seventh, mercy is walking alongside of others with a spirit of mutual brokenness. Because we all got our issues. It might not be their issue, but you got an issue. So what does this mean for us corporately at the village church? What is the face of mercy here at the village? It's called the three R's. Relational responsible, returnable. Relational mercy means our relationships with individuals and families will be a driving force in, in our mercy aid. Relationships. It's responsible but mercy because recipients of mercy are still responsible to be, to be good stewards to what God has given them. Okay? Good stewards. And it's returnable mercy because recipients of mercy should also want to be a blessing to others. Mercy at the Village Church is what? Relational, responsible, returnable. That's what it is. That's what it's going to be. That's what it is. Many people, many of you, many people, some of you here this morning have a doormat beneath the front door of the house that has welcome embroidered on it. And the purpose of that welcome mat is, is just that. You want your guests to feel welcome in your home, right? You want them to feel welcome in your home. Now, there's also another purpose of that welcome mat. Because you want your guests to stump the dirt off their shoes before they enter your home. You don't want them tracking their, their dirty shoes throughout your house, especially if you got carpet. It's an unspoken expectation for people to stump the dirt off their shoes before you enter your home. It's a common courtesy. Mercifulness is a welcome mat in front of your life for other people. But here's the catch. You don't expect them to stump the dirt out of their life before you let them into your life. And some of us have that requirement. You welcome them into your life with their mess. Just like Jesus welcomed you into his life with your mess. You get dirty with their dirt. And you get, and they get dirty with your dirt. That's what it means to, to welcome others into your life. Because if mercy is a welcome man, you said, come on in to my life. And you ain't got to be perfect to be in my life. You ain't got to be completely clean to be in my life. Because you're dirty, I'm dirty. We're going to be dirty together.
Believers have the freedom. Listen to this, believer. You have the freedom to place a merciful welcome mat in front of your life for other people. Why? Verse 7. Flourishing on the merciful because they shall receive mercy. See, believers, we don't flourish because we're merciful. We don't flourish because of our compassion and our empathy and, and our forgiveness and, and our advocacy. Those are the reasons why we flourish in life. We flourish because we are recipients of God's mercy. You are a recipient of it. His unmerited kindness. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Mercy is his unmerited compassion to you without condition. You, do you think you work for his mercy? You think he's more merciful to you because he's coming to church every Sunday? No, he's not. He's merciful to you because he's a merciful God. It's not based upon what you do. And his mercy is not pie in the sky. It is real. It is a promise. Lamentation 3 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Recipients of God's unmerited kindness also become extenders of that same kindness. That believers are free to extend mercy without judgment, without fear, without condition, because that's the way God gives it to Do you believe that? We would not be sitting here doing what we're doing if God was not gracious and compassionate and merciful. We're not talking about comparing ourselves to our political parties. I don't care what they do. That's not who we based our life on. Our God is the reason that we can be merciful. And he gives us mercy without any condition. And so when I'm saying you do the same, it's based upon what he says. And if you get mad with me, get mad with him because it's coming from his word. And it's his, I'm just a messenger. Now, messengers get stoned. I know that. Talk to Jeremiah. I know that. Because if God were here, we'll stone him. But he ain't here. Look at that table. What do you think that table reminds you of? That Jesus is your welcome mat into God's kingdom. That's what it's a reminder of. And he didn't say to you, get rid of your sin before you come to my house. He didn't say, go back and clean up your act before you come into my presence. He says, stomp all your sin out on to me. That's what the cross is. You stomping out your sin on to Jesus. And when you come into my presence, then I will make you clean. I will wash your nasty, crusty feet and make you acceptable to in God's sight. That's what that table reminds you of. Unmerited favor and unmerited kindness. Who don't want to serve a guy like that? Who don't want to serve a savior like that? And that's the savior that we give people. Do you believe that, saints? Because if this is not true, I'm wasting my time. I labor 15 hours a week for nothing and writing sermons if this stuff is not true. But it's true. Do you believe it's true? Kids, do you believe it's true? 
I know you're probably saying, man, Pastor Alice is always loud and emotional. I know. I get it. You know, I am, I am who I am. Jesus is your welcome man into God's kingdom. Hebrews says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one with every respect that has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us with confidence draw near the throne of grace to receive mercy and find hope in our time of need. This table is you drawing near the throne of grace. That's what the Lord's table is. Is you coming near the throne of grace. And so if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, if you know Jesus and save in faith, then he says, come. Come to the table. Now, friends and neighbors, if you don't know Christ, I consider the honor that you do are here. And if you have a questions about what it means to have faith in him, please come to him. Again, folks think I'm a hobbit here. I'm not a hobbit. <laughs> Adults, we ask the kids that are with you abstain from the elements until they have been invited to the to the table by the church that you will attend. And and village church kids, I need all I need your attention. Please look at your pastor. This meal, this bread and this juice is a reminder to each of you, as I said, that Christ is your welcome back into God's kingdom. And he wants you to come into his presence. That's why he died. That's why he died. He died because he loved you. There's no other way for you to get into heaven but through Jesus Christ. You're all going to grow up. You're going to probably some of you going to go to college. You're going to live your life. But you're standing with Jesus Christ. That decision is going to be the most important decision you make in your life. As I said before, you may blame me for certain things when you grow up, but you won't ever say I didn't preach you the gospel. You want everybody to say, my pastor didn't do that. Every week I tell you, you get it. You got to come to Jesus to be saved. You got to repent to him to be saved. And when you do, he'll bring you in. And when you do, you get to partake of this meal with your parents, your grandparents, or your guardians. And that's my prayer for you as your pastor, that each of you will leave this church as Christians, sons and daughters of God. I'd like to call the officers forward to who's going to assist me today.